Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sass. We are joined by Lauren O'Brien today, uh, the VP of Marketing at Balto. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Cautiously excited to be here for the, the sour part, I'll say. <laughs> it, it is as sour as you think. Um, <laughs> so what I found about these candies is very unique. The first one, it's like not the bad. There's something about when you have the second that your mouth from the first one. It's, it's been traumatized. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, it's, it's, like, like, it's like the initial relationship, the bad breakup, and then you're like very weary of this one. You okay, that's a good pro tip. I'm good, glad to know that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm super happy to have you here. And one of the things I've looked at kind of in your career journey, and I'd love for you to kind of unpack for us, is you've been at these organizations where you come in as like this force of change, right? And you've been able to kind of guide multiple rebrands and repositionings of organizations. When you come in from the outside, because you're kind of still, I'm guessing this case is a little bit on the outside, right? You're joining Balto, you joined your previous firm. How do you lead transformation? Like, what does that take? What kind of buy-in do you need to get? And what does it take to really rebuild a brand and reposition it and change the way it's perceived in the market? What does that take? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great question. It's definitely a kind of a, a wild ride for sure. And the part I've enjoyed the most in my career, I would say for a watermark of where I was prior to Balto, um, yeah. you know, a lot of that was driven through growth and M&A. And so we had five acquisitions in about two years, which was yeah pretty crazy. <laughs> and so for me, you really work with the leadership and you take that step back to say like, what's the why behind all of this? And like, why should the market care? What's the value we're delivering to the market by now being this large organization of these five companies? And that has how you redefine, okay, so what's the brand? What's the position? What's the message? How do we reintroduce ourselves? Um, and I think a lot of it starts with the CEO, right? They've got to have the strong vision, the leadership. Um, I think, you know, I totally agree with the, the catchy line Dave Gerhardt has, has of like, life's too short to work for a CEO that doesn't get marketing. And I've been very lucky <laughs> in my career to work with a lot of great CEOs that thankfully get marketing. And so as they are driving the transformation, they see marketing as such a key force you get to within latch that. Onto that. And then yeah, and yeah. so it becomes part of the strategy, essentially. You view your marketing strategy as part of the company's growth strategy. And you really yeah. have to think strategically then about the brand and how you're positioning and messaging that. I love that, Lauren. Now, you said something really interesting. You said, we at your last organization, you were driven by M&A. Now, M&A sounds great. <clears throat> I haven't been in it, but I have a decent imagination and I've read enough material to imagine how difficult it must have been for you to integrate M&A. Yeah. So it, it's awesome, right? Because you immediately buy revenue. You're able <laughs> to get the multiple so you have arbitrage. Your investors are happy because you got to a new threshold of top line while maintaining EBITDA. So everybody's multiples go up. It's a big win. Yeah. And then you have to like integrate it. So Make it, the work happen. <laughs> right? So – you have your CEO who believes in you and you guys are like, Woo, we're doing this together. And then you get five other CEOs. So how did you do that? Like what, what were some takeaways that you learned from that for everyone kind of tuning in today? Yeah. 
So I would say, again, a lot of it still comes back to like, what's the mission and vision? Because like what was really interesting, actually, in the, the five companies we brought together, at least three of them were direct competitors. We were like in the trenches, ruthlessly competing against each other. So it wasn't just like, hey, guess what? We're all one big family. When you're looking around at your new colleagues of like, wow, you used to be enemy number one, enemy number two. How are we now going to work collectively together? And I think it really starts again with like, what's the broader purpose of what we're all trying to accomplish? You know, for us, we believed at Watermark in this value of educational intelligence. And there were too many siloed systems on a college campus and you have to bring them together to actually have better insights into how you can improve the experience for students. And yeah. everybody got excited about that. So everybody internally was able to really mobilize and say, okay, this is the why we're doing this. This is the anchor for the work that we're trying to accomplish. There's a, I mean, marketing, I feel like becomes so critical internally and externally. It's how do you reintroduce that to all of your clients, to yeah. your prospects? How do you get your teams excited about how they fit into this picture? And you definitely have some, it's a rocky road, right? There's things that as you dig in and unpack, you know, I'll give you the example conferences was a nightmare. Okay. Back in the day when conferences were still happening. Yeah, back in the all, day. <laughs> all, sometimes you'd be like, oh, great. All three of our companies have booths at this conference. Like, we're all planning on being there separately. What's the plan now? We're one company. How do we have a united vision and point of view of how we're putting ourselves out there? So that was a big part of our rebrand and why we moved so quickly to have a unified brand to anchor all these companies together and help drive what we were doing. I love that. Now, you're also, I think, painting this lovely picture. And so let me just play devil's advocate for a second and assume yeah. that all five of the acquisitions weren't right. And what I mean by that is, what do you do in a wrong acquisition? Okay. So you have a product set that resonates with your ideal customer persona. And when you bought your three competitors, the reason they were competitors is because you shared an ideal customer persona. So you had a lot of alignment on integrating those products. And that was probably easy, culturally hard, product integration to marketing, value props and feature set. Fairly easy, I imagine. Like if I hire, if I acquired other performance marketing shops, acquisition pretty easy. If I acquire a print marketing shop or someone who does event marketing, now I've fragmented my historical customer's perception of what value my organization and problems I solve for them. Yeah. So did you run into an instance where you your your private your money that was backing this? bought something that was potentially fragmented how did you integrate it like how did you integrate things that weren't your competitors that were yeah. new because that to me is so tricky yeah it was really tough so i would say with a few of the integrations actually they were in kind of areas that were very complementary to what we did as a company to start with but it was a different buyer a different persona and on yep. paper it was like oh but these things like they're just magically going to connect the processes are the same right the people it's yeah. all going to be the same and it obviously was a lot harder than that. And so we really did have to unpack who is the persona for that. What's the problem we're solving for each of these products that are still separate products today? Who are the key buyers that we're trying to influence? And then it was a really tough balance of how we tell that kind of point solution story. And then also the broader vision of how we were looking to bring all of them together. Because that was another big challenge. We get people that are like, amazing. So this yeah. is all integrated, right? Like perfect. Like this is magically one product now. And that's you know not how product development works, right? It takes a lot of time. 100%. And I have this other concept that I'm so curious about. It's like, because these other organizations also have different internal architectures of how they're structured 
In other words, some teams, right, are going to have product marketing who has all the decision-making power. Yeah. Others put it in demand gen. Others have it really only at the top with maybe a key decision-maker in the VP role yeah. or in the CMO role. So how did you take those? And then when you have product lines, did you make them all like, you know how some people do like, uh, I don't know, how do I explain this? It's like everything has their brand name and then the product name. Yep, like, yep. you know what I'm talking about? So it's like Microsoft Word, Microsoft PowerPoint, Microsoft. And yeah. you know how you have that. Like, so how did you take all those products from an internal management thing and then integrate them to one larger marketing group? What was that process like? Because I've never done that. I'm so curious. Yeah. So I would say from like the team perspective, it was really like day one, we're all watermark. That's it. Like these are not separate, discrete marketing teams. This is one marketing team. And I think I was lucky in the sense that like it wasn't too often that there were a ton of duplicative roles because sometimes these were smaller organizations, smaller teams. In two cases, there wasn't a marketing team. So it was actually like, great. Now we have marketing capacity to put against this product that like really didn't have dedicated in-house marketing resources. And so I I had to really think strategically always about like, what are the big pillars we need within the marketing team and how can I plug people into areas where they can be successful as we grow and expand. Um, yeah. And I was lucky to inherit some incredibly talented team members that just really fit well as I was building the team out. Um, what we did from a brand strategy was, you know, it was really master brand. Everything we wanted to be watermark ultimately. So you're trying to sell a platform more than a product. Which, exactly. So it, but do you have product KPIs in that are yeah. all bundling up? So we how, yeah. did. Yeah, we did. So we still manage separate business lines. And so I still knew, okay, we've got to drive this amount of revenue for this product and this amount of revenue for this product. And so what we did was it was, you know, the Watermark Master brand. And then, okay. you know, day one, once we brought this company on, within the first 30 days, we had an endorsed brand structure. So it was, you know, XYZ company by Watermark. So people made that connection of, oh, okay, you're part of the Watermark family now. This is a product within the Watermark portfolio. But Watermark as a company is still the broader platform and the, the company driving this forward. Wow, I love that. That's so crazy. Oh gosh. Are you ready for some sour candy? I am. I think I'm going to go cherry lime. Okay, I'm going, oh my gosh, I randomly listened to cherry lime too. It doesn't, I don't, when you have the word cherry first, but it's green, your mind gets confused when you look at it. I'm going to bet it won't taste like either cherry or lime. That's going to be It tastes like manufactured sugar with yeah. some type of sour. It's <laughs> like my uh, plastic stuck to it. All right. Are we in? Oh, yeah. I'm there. Oh, this one's sour. Okay. Now, moving forward uh -huh. to Alto. Yeah. Your new firm. It's very much a startup. Uh -huh. I don't mean that in like a negative way. I audit SaaS companies for a living. So what I mean by that is you can tell they're still throwing things against the wall and seeing what resonates with their audience. Uh -huh. What features do people love the most? How do we talk about our features? When we like, it's still fragmented and you're obviously new there. How do you unify that? How do you understand that? How do you, because marketing is a reflection of the internal product direction uh -huh. of the company. Uh -huh. How do you help that become solidified and concrete so you can position it as market leader? Because yep. it's hard to position something as a market leader when you might be better than the market, but you don't have that foundational concrete understanding 
of exactly what you're better than the market at. And this is who we are. This yeah. is who we are as Baltimore. So like you're in this weird phase. I can see it that you're obviously navigating from the outside. I don't know what from the inside, obviously, but how do you do that? How do you take someone who's innovative, awesome features, like sticky tabs and all this cool stuff you got to being a sophisticated market leader? How, yeah. how do you change that in the marketing? And what's your kind of plan there? How does that look? Yeah, so I think you really go all the way back to the basics of like, what's the problem we're solving? What is the big problem that Balto is ultimately solving for our customers? And really understanding that. And so you do that by talking to all your customers. You do it by talking to all of your internal team members. You know, we have a great wealth of knowledge within Balto um, of people that know what we've tried, what's been successful, what hasn't, and where we really deliver the most value. So nailing that problem. And then thinking about like, what's our unique point of view then? What, how should people think about Balto and how we solve this problem in a way that adds value, is compelling, is gonna break through the noise, is gonna resonate and sound like a human as opposed to just jargony, SaaS nonsense that we're all trying to wade through way too much of. So it's a lot of category creation work of soul searching of where do we fit within the broader ecosystem? And how do we essentially like make that problem really real to our customers and help them understand this, you have to solve it, right? I think most SaaS companies were competing against status quo. It's not even always competing against the competition. It's competing against the way people do things today. And there's brilliant companies like Drift and Salesforce that have really pioneered that approach of like pointing out down with forms, everyone hates forms, there's a better way. So that's a lot of the work that um, I'm engaged in right now of really going yeah. through that process and using that to really hone in on our position and our message. Well, you said that, essentially what we're saying is like, we got to pick an enemy, mm-hmm. right? Like we have to create an enemy so that people can band around us. If there's enough people who share a disdain or a skepticism of something, we can build a brand. Now that's good and great, but it's very risky as a new hire to try to create demand instead of satisfy existing. Yeah. So how do you balance that, right? When you show up and you want to build trust with the management team and show, look, I'm Lauren O'Brien. I'm great at what I do. Look at what we did. Yeah. And simultaneously say, also, look what we could become. Yeah. So how do you balance becoming something with driving results in the short term? What, what's that juggling act in your mind? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, really starts with the right alignment with leadership, right? So Mark Bernstein, our CEO, he and I thankfully are just completely on the same page here. He's looking to build scalable long-term growth, right? So he and I have really great conversations about how do we make sure we're keeping the momentum and we're building growth and we're capturing, to your point, all of the demands that we can today. But we have to start making the long-term investments in things that are going to deliver repeatable, scalable growth quarter over quarter, year over year. And it means we might not see an impact from those within the quarter. You know, things like deciding we need to get marketing automation and implement things like that. It's really hard, important work. It's not going to add anything to the bottom line within the first few quarters, right? That's just infrastructure tooling. You've got to do it. SEO, as a, you know, I'm sure you talk about your clients, it's not an overnight switch you flip and all of a sudden you see huge results. So I think it's that balancing act of knowing what the targets are you have to hit in quarter and making sure you're putting enough focus behind that and hitting those while focusing and investing on these long-term strategies that are going to give you that 3x growth year over year. I like that. Now, what's unique and what I'd love to understand is how do you get budgetary and financial approval 
And what's it different like when you want to get budget approval for something that's going to give you a blended lower CAC 18 months from now versus something that's going to hit your quarterly OKRs right now? Is there a different process, right? Because like we were talking offline a little bit, you're building a team, right? You're obviously hiring like crazy. I see on your LinkedIn, you guys are doing awesome stuff. What's that process for getting budget as a marketing leader in-house when you, and is there a difference when you get budget for headcount for long-term investments? Versus short term, or does that apply the same? What's been your experience? Yeah, so I think it, you know, it's the same conversation, but understanding that like our CAC might be a little higher in the short term and accepting that because we're investing in the business and we're investing in building the growth. And because we see as we look out across the course of the year that we're going to see our demand and efforts really ramp up and scale and that CAC's going to come down. So I think it's that balancing act of like really understanding the impact that these investments have in the short term and being comfortable with making that that bet and investment. I love that. See, I am CEO. And so I talk with my CFO all the time. Have you found that to be a reality as a VP of marketing that you, that in the SaaS organization, marketing leadership and financial leadership have tight alignment or do you go through other managers to get to finance in your experience? So I'm always so curious about yeah. this little piece here because I go right to finance I get approval and I'm like a liaison for my marketing team, but I wouldn't say my, and my marketing talks to finance, but they kind of go through me to a certain extent. Do you go through the CEO to finance? Do you go directly to finance? How's that relationship as you're trying to build the team? Yeah, it's a good question. So I would say, you know, I've gone primarily through my CEO in both of my past organizations and at Balto, but that's more of like where our finance function was at the time, evolving and growing, than, you know, a reflection of, you know, who that leader was. We just didn't have a CFO in some cases. And so in that case, I'm really working closely with the CEO. Um, but I've had great relationships with CFOs in my last organization. And I do think you have to have the right alignment, right? You need to make sure yeah. that on paper, everything you're doing and planning is translating into, you know, what the company growth goals are and the EBITDA and everything else. What some things that for new managers, what should they avoid? What did you learn? What were some maybe mistakes you made in meeting with finance where you just created misalignment on accident? Not because you, like, what's... Oh, it's a dangerous show. It's dangerous. I'm dying. Um, what's some things that you did, right, that you were like, well, wish I didn't go about it that way? Because I know we all have that in so many parts of our marketing careers, but nobody ever talks about it marketing to finance. So what was something yeah. that you would have done different there? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways, like it's actually really similar to what you need to think about in the right alignment between marketing and sales is like you have to be having the same conversation. If you're going into either of those conversations, uh, one with finance leadership or one with sales, and you're talking about like leads and lead gen and these types of KPIs, you're having the wrong conversation. If you're going into those conversations and you're talking about revenue and you're talking about the investments you're making to get revenue and how you expect to see the return on those investments, that's when you're going to have the right productive conversation, right? And so I think it takes time for people to translate and focus and be more revenue-oriented, unfortunately. Um, but that if that's the common ground you're using in those conversations, it's going to be a whole lot more productive. It's kind of funny what you're saying, because it's essentially when we talk about what we care about, our conversations are a lot less effective than when yeah. we talk about what the other person cares about. And I think that applies to pretty much anything and that doesn't mean marketing right well actually it's funny i talk about this with my team sometimes of like we're marketers right 
You're supposed yeah. to always be thinking about who's the audience, what are their needs, what are their challenges, and how do you communicate with them in a way that they're going to understand what you're trying to say. And that applies just as much in the conversations you're having internally at your organization as it does if you're presenting to your board, if you're presenting to your sales leadership, if you're presenting to your internal team members. Like you've got to think about audience, partner, the right, messages. Like, yeah, like it's yeah. the same. We we should be in the best position as marketers to have those conversations. I love that, Lauren. I love that. Now, looking at Balto, and I was curious what your take is on something. So what's your take on pricing, self-onboarding, product-led growth in that environment, right? Because pricing at Balto right now, I don't get a price. When I go to see the product live, I don't necessarily get to see the product live. I'm not saying that's what your vision is. You just got there. What's your take on that, though? Do you believe that SaaS needs pricing moving forward? Do you believe that SaaS needs demo environments that people can play around with? Or do you still believe in like gating the product? Yeah. From, you know, like what, what's your philosophical kind of take on that? And wh where do you want to go? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I think it's so dependent on the industry and the product, right? Like I coming from a really highly complex SaaS product prior to Balto, like no way. We can't just like let people in there. They won't know Super what they're fragmented doing. Fragmented university yeah. system. They're not gonna, all over the place. Yeah, yeah, never gonna work in that in that context. At least I'll, I'm struggling to think of how it would work. I think the principles of understanding that buying behaviors are changing. People are losing patience. They want to get the information they need faster. They want to know the price. They want to see the product. I think, I mean, I've bought plenty of SaaS products myself and it drives you crazy when you're at like the third or fourth conversation and you haven't seen the product yet, right? Yeah. Or like you're, not, you're still trying to get a sense of like, what's the price going to be? So I think philosophically, I believe we have to reduce this friction in that buying yeah. process and give this information sooner. Um, and Balto is actually really unique in the sense that like the magic in real time guidance is seeing it. And so actually the very first conversation you have with one of our account executives, which is by the way, within the first call when we respond to your demo request, they have Balto up on the call and you see it in the conversation as it going. That's it, you see the product live. You're on the other end of it and you're seeing how it responds to both sides of the conversation and the types of guidance and things it's prompting our sales executive with. And so I that's think that's cute. something that's really important to us as a company and that we're continuing to think about. How do we get people to see the product as quickly as they can? Because then they'll be able to really understand the value and impact that it has. Yeah. I always come up with ideas like, could you do a real-time demo thing, right? Like, could you have somebody click, see it now, yeah. and then you have enough AEs that they could literally, because I'm so online with you philosophically that we all, as consumers, want SaaS companies to do one thing. And I find as marketers, we have our own SaaS companies do another. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's not like Balto. It's literally everyone. Like, is. this is universal where... We love our little consumer SaaS products that we use. We're like, wow, it's so easy to, be able to use. I understood the product. I onboard. I give my credit card. But we could never do that. Yeah. No, <laughs> not for us, right? Yeah. And then someone in your industry does, and they just start to take massive market share, right? Yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, wait a second. We need to go freemium. We need to do self-onboarding. So is there a way to create buy-in internally to accelerate that process and not make it – like, how do you get – to be proactive on 
like product-led growth and user onboarding and pricing instead of reactive to getting your lunch eaten by a competitor and sour. Sorry. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Um, one more, Lauren. One more. Okay. I'll go lemon berry on this one. I'll see if it's worse. Like you said. Yep. Instantly. Right. Cause your tongue is like raw. Way worse. Last. Way worse. Um, <laughs> I think you have to figure out how it fits into the strategy of the company. Right. Like, yeah. I think to your point, the reason those competitors in that example are more successful is they're investing in the relationship with the buyer sooner. And so I think if you think about that, is the priority and how you do that effectively. Yep. And it might look different for your company. It might be with your pricing model. It might be with how you give access to your products. It might be like for us at Baltimore, we give a lot of our clients the opportunity to take 30 to 45 days and have half of their agents on Balto and half of them not on Balto. And then look at the ROI. We'll have our data science team show you this is the impact that you get. So I think you have to think about how it aligns with the broader strategy and you have to get your product team, your sales team, your marketing team all on the same page, right? Because if it's, I think that's one challenge in the concept of product-led growth. Like it really yeah. has to be everybody orienting in that direction. And I'm aligned with you, I'm on the same page. Maybe you can give me some tips. So I'm gonna give you a situation and I'd love to hear your perspective because <laughs> I'm running your combo ads, your paid media, your organic strategy. I also have access to your Marketo instance, your Salesforce. I'm using GClid. Everything's integrated. I'm using offline conversion tracking. We're running the most robust mm -hmm. performance marketing campaigns you can. And because of that, we see the data. And the data is pretty obvious. Someone fills out a form, massive drop-off between that and trial, and even bigger drop-off between that and activating to the consumer. Yeah. <clears throat> and so – we see our largest accounts that are doing IPOs and are blowing up right now. They're all moving to either developer-led growth on the DevOps kind of side or user-driven growth and like self-onboarding. Everybody's moving to this route. <clears throat> what we have not been able to figure out is how to help our clients, like convince them to do it. So if we were on the outside and we were working with Balto, uh -huh. how would we be able to convince Balto in your mind, like what would you do if you were us to help convince Balto to move to transparent pricing, user-led growth, so that you drastically lower your CAC? We all know this. You get better return on your investment. And all of a sudden, channels that never worked before are working. We're able to expand. And we're all growing. Yet it's like an immovable force to get someone to start as an outside vendor. Is yeah. there any tricks we could use? Is there any tactics? Like, what would yeah. you do based on your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say the making a big leap of faith is always going to be a big ask for somebody, right? I think this feels like such a big transformational shift for a lot of companies. Oh, yeah. And my guess is there's a lot of small steps you could take to see how that goes along the way, right? So Landing I would think price on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we actually just did that. We had a oh, debate. Okay, cool. We had a debate about like, should we put the price on the page? Should we not? And I said we could debate this all day or we could go test it right like just yep. go test do we see higher conversion rates if we have a price on the page or not and so i think helping people identify those kind of quick win tests to get them more comfortable with this and moving in that direction can really help i love that i love that what about like the live demo instances right where like you take acme inc 
and you hit, you know, see demo. And like right now, when I go on your button, right, I hit see product, it goes to a gated demo form. Uh-huh. All right. And I'm working with Balto. What do I need to be aware of to convince Balto that when I click that button, it sure as hell should not go to a demo, but should go to a product page, in my opinion? Like, how can I convince them to build it? Because I think everybody wants to do that because it makes logical sense. But it is, I haven't been able to convince anybody of it. So how do we do that? How do we prove that? How do we keep pushing the envelope here to help our – because we can try to lower CPC all day, but it's not going to do anything compared to creating a more streamlined product onboarding experience. Yeah, yeah. how do I do that? So just to make sure I'm understanding the example, like what what specifically are you saying they'd see when they click like a, for the product demo? Okay, so uh, if you go to Pendo, Pendo mm-hmm. does a really good example of this. So if you go to yeah. Pendo, you can see their product and it's like live. You can click around on the product and yeah. use it. Like, um, like a demo account. Mm-hmm. Like a de- yeah, like it has a like a tr- like it has a like a dummy instance, mm-hmm. which a lot of like AEs, by the way, are using on their demos. So all I'm trying to do is take the demo instance their AE team uses, and when we click the see it in action button, it goes there, and the user can click around on it instead of seeing an action to gated demo where the customer's like, damn it, really? I just wanted to see it in action. Like, yeah. but I can't get anyone to do it. So wh- wh- how, how, yeah. what's the trick? I mean, I think to me, it would just be, again, test it, right? Like, I think there's so many fears that come up of like, oh my gosh, but what if it doesn't work? Or what if they get in there and they do the right thing and they have a bad experience? There's all these what ifs, right? So it's like knowing what the objections are, whether there's counters to those objections that you could provide. And then is there a really controlled test of like, all right, we're going to take 10% of the traffic that comes to this page and we're going to see what happens if we give them access to like really go and see and play with the demo. And Google optimize, right? Yeah, you can ex- <laughs> test on it. Yeah, no, I think again, testing when you give somebody the opportunity to actually do it in a scale, like a controllable way, it minimizes the risk. They see the results and then they feel more comfortable making that bet. And I think it forces, and what, the reason I love it is I think it forces the company to do what they should already do, which is great product onboarding. Like my thought is if you, someone, if I can't like onboard someone to your product and they can't figure it out on your own, we got bigger problems, right? Because it, it's not built. So I think the cool part about product-led growth is it forces product excellence, which then forces better retention, which then creates a better LTV, which means you and I get to spend a hell of a lot more money on our initial cost per acquisition. You yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah. That's why... I see this as such a powerful like force multiplier of change when it comes to top line revenue. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I think it's that domino effect that you're pointing out is what stalls everybody of like, oh my gosh, but what about the implications for this and this and this and that? Yeah. And our our kind of sales will never go for it. Right. Like, that <laughs> right. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Crazy! What a fun world we live in, though. We're yeah, so glad. Let me let me know when you crack the code on that one. I'm excited to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying. I'm doing it all through my team, so I don't even do it directly. But I keep pushing every like one of our strategists to push our clients to this. I'm not making a ton of headway. But I'm like asking as many people as I can because I think it's huge. But Lauren, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I did. It was fun. And they, you know, they weren't as bad as I thought they were going to be. At the end, they're kind of nice, right? They're a little sugary. It's just that that initial. (laughs) When you get through that like stabbing of sour in the first 30 seconds, you're fine. Yeah, no, it was great. 
I love it. Well, you're hiring for some roles. So you want to do a quick shout out for the roles? Yeah, absolutely. Across all of Balto. So whether you're interested in sales, customer success, product engineering, we have probably 20 to 25 roles open within marketing. Oh we're looking for copywriters, a partner and event marketing manager, um, and partnership managers. So really excited to talk with anybody that's interested in those. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And if they want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, I would say send me a note at lauren at balto.ai or reach out on LinkedIn. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Lauren. And that's Sour and Sass, everybody. Bye. Thanks.